Hello and welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and I'm based here in Jerusalem. Our guest today, Gil Troy, is also based in Jerusalem, just a couple of neighbourhoods across from me. Professor Gil Troy is a distinguished academic, scholar and author of over nine books and uh, the editor of two more, relating to North American history and Jewish world issues and Zionism. Um, some of that we're going to explore today. Gil, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Always great to be with you, Richard. So, as I said, there's a kind of a, a range of issues on uh, Israel and Jewish world issues that I'd like to, uh, to discuss with you. But if we can start with the Israeli politics, it's been about six weeks since the government was formed. I just wanted to take your view on how you assess their performance so far. They've survived. I think that's, yes. yeah, that's the great miracle. Uh, no one expected them, certainly Bibi didn't expect them, to, Bibi Netanyahu didn't expect them to survive. And I think more than that, the most important thing I think they've done is they've set a tone of dignity set a tone of substance. I was sitting last night with a friend of mine who's a Likud supporter who voted for Bibi multiple times. And the contrast between the discipline and the patriotism, frankly, that um, Prime Minister uh, Bennett showed during the transition um, and has shown amidst tremendous attacks from Netanyahu and Likud and the hysterical attacks that have been mounted, the refusal even to use the phrase Prime Minister Bennett um, uh, is I think is striking. And for a democracy, which has had its ups and downs, I think the fact that A, Israelis are realizing, oh, security remains constant and the economy continues to, to flourish. We certainly have our challenges, but there is life after Bibi. I think that's been very, very uh, significant. And, um, and the fact that they're able to put together and continue functioning with a couple of embarrassments, we should point out, uh, a, this, this right to left coalition, this Arab Jewish coalition is I think a symbol of Israel at its best, an ability to put some of your partisan needs and fears and hurts aside and think of the bigger picture. What do you think should be the, uh, the top priorities of this government uh, going forward? Well, as always, you know, there's a tension in Israel because there, there are so many quality of life issues that we have to deal with, but survival, survival, survival uh, comes to the fore. So obviously mm. there's the ongoing challenge of COVID. And, you know, I, I, the, the politicization of, of, of the COVID crisis just makes me insane because I, I think if we really look at the United States in the last couple of months and Israel in the last couple of months, pre-Bennett, post-Bennett, what we, what, and actually what we, we've seen in government after government is, it's not about politics. It's a very complicated, constantly changing issue. And, um, and, and I wish we could put politics aside and simply say, what's best and how do we, we're all, you know, as we are with our own particular families, how do we try to just make some sense of, of what's going on? We're seeing this also, of course, in the UK. Um, so obviously the COVID challenge is, is front and center. The Iran challenge is front and center. And unfortunately, uh, in the last couple of months, uh, Israelis would kind of thought that the Palestinian challenge could be put to the side are realizing that there's this double challenge, not only the ongoing question of what do we do with the Palestinians in Gaza and the Palestinians in area A, B, and C of fill in the blank, West Bank, Judea and Samaria, but the um, eruption of riots in, 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 in cities where um, Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs seem to be living together um, in, in, if not peace and harmony, certainly in, in a comedy and, and, and accommodation um, has been very, very, unnerving to many people. And I think that would be my first piece of advice to um, the, the, the new government. Obviously, you got to deal with Corona. Obviously, you've got to deal with uh, Iran. Obviously, you got to deal with the economy. But 
one thing I think symbolically could really break the logjam. I think there has been a real problem with building permits in the Arab sector. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> building permits just don't affect my quality of life um, <laughs> living in, in more of a Jewish neighborhood. And I think if you could break that logjam, just that symbolic victory would be so important, both in terms of validating the, um, the Arab legislators who have very boldly and very courageously decided they're going to be pragmatic and not ideological and join the coalition, and B, say to the Israeli Arab citizens, we care about you, we're thinking about you, and connecting to that, and this does affect me every single day and every single person who lives in Israel uh, every single day, you got to deal with the crime problem. And the crime problem is not an Israeli Arab problem, it's an Israeli problem because it not only drains our resources, but it uh, un undermines faith in general in the body politic, faith in general in the society. And I think if the Bennett uh, uh, government can move the needle on those two issues, um, because there's been tremendous progress economically in the last 20 years, there's been tremendous progress educationally in the last 20 years, there's been tremendous progress professionally in the last 20 years. And at the very start of COVID, I think there was a great awareness of, oh my goodness, 20% of Israeli doctors are Israeli Arabs. 43% of Israeli pharmacists are Israeli Arabs. 23% of Israeli nurses are Israeli Arabs. They're our brothers and sisters and they're helping us out in, in this tremendous fight against this invisible enemy. Why can't we put some of our other tensions aside? And, um, and, and I think that to me would be, again, beyond the, 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 the burning issues, um, of, of Iran and COVID, uh, top priority. Well, we, we might come back to some of those burning issues uh, a, a, little, a little later. Um, but as well as Israel's new government, there's also a new president in the, uh, in the president's residence. Um, what do you think his, his priorities should be? So, so first of all, I have to say, again, when I look at the, the new team of Naftali Bennett, of Yair Lapid, who in a remarkable move, chose not to put himself forward and said, you know what, I'm gonna to defer to uh, Naftali Bennett because that's better for the coalition, that's better for the country. Uh, and then we add uh, Yitzhak Herzog, the new president. I think there's a new, you know, there's a new sheriff or a new series of sheriffs in town who are trying to set a new tone, a new tone of moderation, but I call this muscular moderation, not weakness, a new tone of, of, of genuine patriotism, of being able every now and then to put aside your partisan concerns and think about the country. And um, I wrote a, an article in the Jerusalem Post a, a few weeks ago, basically an open letter to uh, President Herzog saying, look, one of the problems with being president is that it can feel like Groundhog Day, right? It can feel like the same set of ceremonies, the same set of you know, lovely speeches, um, the same set of handshakings again and again and again. And then every now and then there's some kind of political crisis that you have to step in on. And it's really important that he shape his mandate. It's really important uh, we wish him health and, 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 and success. So he has seven years, um, which is a lot of speeches and a lot of shake, shaking of hands and a lot of what could be empty ceremonies. So find one, two or three themes. Uh, find a theme of unity. Find the theme uh, within the country. Find the theme of unity um, reaching out to uh, the diaspora. Find the theme of setting a new tone of patriotism and of values uh, and of idealism, but also figure out a way to give your seven years some structure. Respond to, let's say, the Durban crisis right now, because there's going to be this awful repeat of the, um, the, the anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist Durban Fest, um, which first occurred in 2001. It's now this is going to be the 20th anniversary in September. Respond to that. And then build up to the uh, anniversary 
1975, so in 2025, to um, of the Zionism as Racism Resolution, where Herzog's mm. father, uh, the late Chaim Herzog, spoke so eloquently and actually ripped up the, the resolution. So, you know, do things like that, which can actually, uh, and, and then, you know, uh, in the middle, think about the fact that we have the 75th anniversary of Israel coming up, the 80th anniversary of Israel coming up. What are the quality of life issues that we want to address? And, and by doing that, you give a sense of flow. And you don't want to, um, you want to have certain themes you come back to again and again. We also want to have some sense of building. And, and the society needs that. And you can be a real source of, of, of goodwill and of good vibes and of good thoughts. And, uh, you know, and, and I'd say, you know, watch the crown. Learn from the, the, the Queen of England. I mean, you know, everybody likes to make fun of, 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 of the royal family and, and, and gossip about the royal family. But we also see how the royal family at its best uh, during World War II and also over the last uh, three quarters of a century ha have really often been the, the, the symbol of unity uh, in, in the UK and have often brought out the best in the British people, not just the worst gossipy side of the British people. Absolutely. I mean, as you, you mentioned, uh, the president's father is also a role model. And I think both the, the, uh, the predecessors of, uh, of Rivlin as well set that tone of, uh, of kind of uh, emphasizing the unity amongst the people as well that uh, can help uh, um, build, build bridges. I love the fact that Shimon Peres came from the left, that Ruby Rivlin came from the right, that Herzog comes from the left. And, and, that, and that shows again, and it's so important to be countercultural these days, given what's going on in so many countries, not only in Israel, to transcend partisanship. And, and, not, and it's not as if uh, you know, Paris had strong political opinions and Rivlin had strong political opinions and Herzog has strong political opinions, but they also are able to have strong, a strong sense of nationalism, of patriotism, of Judaism, of Zionism, and those things transcend the day to day. Absolutely. Um, if I can take you on to a couple of kind of day-to-day uh, -day issues that are certainly on the on the news agenda over the last week or week or two, if we can start with the uh, the Ben and Jerry scandal, I'd love to take what's your what's what's your opinion on uh, on what's evolving there. Ben and who? Um, <laughs> part, part, part of me would love to just kind of ignore. Look, this is a tension, right? The more oxygen you give to uh, one little company that chooses to boycott, the more you risk um, A, looking hysterical, B, losing your dignity, and C, giving them more of a platform and more power than they deserve. On the other hand, you want to really build a firewall. And uh, I think it's really important, you know, I, I've spoken to a number of my friends from the left and, and there, were, there were six left-wing, what they call, and I'm putting this in heavy quotation marks, progressive Zionist organizations that came out with a statement saying, look, you know, Ben and Jerry's is only boycotting the settlements. Although, of course, one of the strange things about this this Ben and Jerry's move is that it's not just boycotting um, something that was developed, a product that was developed in the settlements, but they're saying we don't want to have anything sold in the settlements. Uh, and of course, we should also add that if the Ben and Jerry's licensee here in Israel goes out of business, there are Palestinian workers who will lose their job. Thank you very much, Ben and Jerry's. But so they start they start lawyering. And they start saying, well, you know, it's only a, it's again, it's, it's, it's a political move against the settlements. It's not anti-Semitic, it's not anti-Zionist. What they refuse to see, what they actually do know, but they're choosing to overlook, is that it really has become binary, especially since May, but this has been going on for years. You're either pro-BDS or anti-BDS. And when Ben and Jerry's, and especially when you look at the 
chairman of the board of Ben and Jerry's who's pushed this um, so aggressively, they're ultimately trying to, uh, to, to wipe out Israel. When you look at the, the, the defining charter of the BDS movement, uh, and they accuse Israel of being racist and ethno-nationalist, uh, and they go to the core origins of Israel. This is not about what Israel does, folks. This is about what Israel is. And you have a choice in this world. You can be on the side of those people who are delegitimizing Israel. And as a result of that delegitimization, it leads to, I'm sorry to say, I wish it wasn't true, but it is true, um, hooliganism and violence on the streets of London, hooliganism and violence on the streets of Los Angeles, hooliganism and violence violence on the streets of, of, of New York. And even more than that, it leads to rockets in your backyard and my backyard in Israel. And if you, if you refuse to acknowledge that chain of connectedness, if you refuse to acknowledge the degree to which the Palestinian extremists, the Palestinian terrorists, the Palestinian rejectionists are emboldened by these kind of symbolic moves, you're living in la la land. And so it really is all or nothing. Um, I, I can create the intellectual argument saying, oh yes, it's only about the settlements and it's only this and it's only that. But fundamentally, those six that's progressive Zionist organizations are being neither progressive nor Zionist. Uh, and what they're doing is they're supporting, they're allying, let's use that popular progressive word these days, they're allying with people who don't just want to change Israel's behavior, but want to wipe Israel out itself. And we have to call them on it. And we have to say, yes, intellectually, I can acknowledge the distinction, but they don't make the distinction. And I've done this on campus. I've called out the BDS organizations and I've called out the people saying, oh, we're just you know, boycotting uh, you know, the settlements. I say, okay, so are you willing to, to denounce uh, Barghouti and others who are the founders of BDS, who are anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist and delegitimizing and trying to destroy the Jewish state? Oh, no, no, why are you putting words in my mouth? So there's this kind of weird double game going on where the Palestinian rejectionists, the Palestinian extremists, the true BDS forces use the harshest of terms from the river to the sea, genocide, and on and on and, on, and call for BDS. And then we Jews, some of us, we progressives, some of us, come in with our little pointy heads and say, oh no, but look, it's just this one little corner. And, and it's kind of, you know, it's now called gaslighting. And then when you call people out on it, they go, they, they quote the most liberal, the most pro-Israel BDSer, and they don't acknowledge how much of the BDS movement boycott, divestment, sanction, um, is ultimately about blacklist, demonization, and slander. So what do you propose? I mean, I hear what you started saying of kind of not to give it the oxygen, but despite that, what do you think is kind of the appropriate and effective uh, um, response to this? So look, you only enter into an argument that you know you're going to win. You only enter a battle that you know you're going to win. And so I think given the degree to which the Israeli government, the new Israeli president, the new Israeli foreign minister, um, have engaged this battle, we've got to figure out how to win. And look, it has happened before, you know, when Airbnb um, tried to, again, boycott the settlements, uh, Airbnb uh, retreated. And I think we have to look at uh, the, the financial levers that will, um, that will ultimately make an impact on Ben and Jerry's. Again, you know, intellectually, ideologically, as a free speech uh, proponent, I have some issues with some of the anti-BDS laws that have been passed in the United, in different states within the United States and in other parts of Europe. But if there's a law and it can put pressure on Ben & Jerry's, if Ben & Jerry starts worrying that its operations in Arkansas and in Texas um, and in other parts of the world are gonna be affected by this silly little thing. And by the way, let's point out that Ben & Jerry's has never boycotted any other country. And that's what stinks about the whole thing. Then, um, then the Ben & Jerry's board might start thinking, hey, you know, at the end of the day, 
we have a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders. So we need to hear from the shareholders. We need to hear more about the arrangement between Ben and Jerry's and Unilever, um, which has condemned the boycott and said, we, you know, we, we sold, we, we bought into Ben and Jerry's, but we gave them a kind of freedom to be ideological. Uh, I, I, I need to hear people trying to reach out to Ben and to Jerry and saying, what's being done in your name? Do you realize that you're not just attacking the settlements? You're not just attacking um, the, the people who might be buying ice cream in the settlements. You're attacking the Palestinian workers who benefited from um, the Ben and Jerry's empire in Israel. You're attacking uh, your own shareholders and you're attacking the Jewish state in the most fundamental way because you're aligning with the most evil, most anti-peace forces who won't even have a cup of coffee with a Jew because connected to, anti, connected to BDS is anti-normalization. And I don't know how you build any kind of healthy, peace in the future, how you de-escalate the tensions without some back and forth. And it's the BDS forces who are against normalization. So where's your loveliness, Ben? Where's your loveliness, Jerry? Where's your loveliness, um, all, 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 these, all, all these progressive Zionist organizations? You're, you're, you're choosing to be ostriches. You're choosing to put your heads in the sand. And I certainly know that when Jews put their heads in, their sand, in the sand, they not only choke on the sand, but they also get their heads often chopped off because they're not looking at where their enemies really are. Mm. I mean, I, I, I suppose a related issue that's also come up this week um, is uh, Israel's Foreign Minister Lapid um, entered the anti-Semitism debate with his speech at the, uh, the Global Forum for Combating um, Anti-Semitism. Um, I just wanted to get your assessment, um, first of all, kind of how that's been received here in, here in Israel and, and, what, and what your assessment is of his, of his position is. So Lapid gave uh, a seven-minute speech, which first of all, you got to give him kudos, right? Because it shows a certain discipline um, and then, and then Herzog gave a 10 minute speech again, you know, I like these guys, uh, these aren't hour long talkers and I, and I actually listened to both. So I could comment, everybody usually loves to comment on these speeches without having bothered uh, to listen or to read to read them. And it's, it's interesting because Lapid and Herzog said very similar things. What, what Lapid was saying was that yes, as the grandson um, of, 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 of a grandfather who was killed in the Shoah, as uh, the son of a father, Tommy Lapid, who was traumatized uh, by, by, by running away and, and losing his father in the Shoah, um, I understand the very particular nature of anti-Semitism. But I also want to build the global coalition against anti-Semitism. And I also want to acknowledge that the fight against anti-Semitism is the fight against all forms of intolerance, including racism, uh, including uh, sexism, in, 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 including xenophobia of all, all time. And he used the phrase, um, basically saying that the last name of anti-Semitism is all these other things, racism, or, or that, that anti-Semitism is the last name of all these other forms of bigotry. Yeah. Bibi Netanyahu, who will not, again, utter the phrase Prime Minister um, Bennett or Farm Minister Lapid, who is waking up every single morning saying, how can I pounce? Pounces on this and starts claiming that, and again, this is the, the word that he used, he, that, that, that Lapid flattened anti-Semitism and made it all universalism, all universalist. If you Again, hear the opening of the speech. You hear the pathos about what it is to have grown up without a grandfather um, uh, in your in Lapid's life. And frankly, I'm not, I, 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 I come from Russian Jews who left the, the old country uh, decades before that. So I, I don't have that Holocaust trauma that, uh, that Lapid has. It, it's, it's a very ungenerous, very distorted and very demagogic reading of what Lapid said. And if we have a foreign minister whose greatest 
weakness is that he's intelligent, whose greatest weakness is that he's a little subtle, whose greatest weakness is that he has that ability, uh, as F. Scott Fitzgerald said, to hold two conflicting thoughts in your head and say, yeah, there's a universal dimension to this and there's a particular dimension to this. I'm okay with that. In fact, it makes me sleep well at night. And, and the Zionist move is that. The Zionist move is to understand that anti-Semitism, anti-Zionist, Zionism, bigotry is both particular and universal and that our identity has to be both particular, both proudly rooted in the Jewish story for better and for worse, and also reaching out to the world um, with our feet uh, planted firmly on the ground. So I think this is a tempest in a teapot, uh, but potentially an indicator that there's, again, that there are these new sheriffs in town who might be a little more thoughtful, a little more subtle, a little more demagogic, and also not just willing to attack the world, but willing to work with the world. I'm okay with that in a foreign minister. In fact, I think that's what you want in a foreign minister. That takes me on kind of to my next point that the uh, kind of the overall agenda of Lapid in the foreign ministry is to kind of to, to reach out and to engage far more with uh, with progressives and, uh, and 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 pragmatists across across the world. Um, connecting this to the kind of to the anti-Semitism debate, I mean, do you, do you think there is a there there is a, a right approach to connect? The, anti, the fight against anti-Semitism um, with building support for the Jewish uh, state internationally? Let's flip it around. We've seen, especially since May, although we've seen it for, for much longer than that, that the attack on Israel is an attack on Jews, right? All of a sudden there's a fight between Hamas and Israel and boom, streets of London, streets of LA, streets of Chicago, uh, streets of Manchester uh, become dangerous for Jews and they don't ask, where do you stand on the Israel issue? They simply go after the Jews. So similarly, the broad fight against anti-Semitism uh, has to be also a fight for the re-legitimization of the state of Israel in, um, in, in so many eyes. And you know, it, it's so ironic that places like the United Nations, which should be centers of, of enlightenment, which should be centers of fighting bigotry of all forms, racism of all forms, have become these corrupted centers of, uh, of, of, of singling out the Jew and singling out the Jewish state. So uh, indeed, I do think that Lapid's instinct is correct, that we need to stop um, just defending ourselves, but uh, understand that the best form of self-defense is outreach. And the best form of self-defense is fighting anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism simultaneously. Um, and frankly, using as a model, things like the Abraham Accords, using as a model, the many, many happy stories, the many, many positive stories, which don't make not just the British press, don't, not, don't, don't just make the American press, they don't even make the American Jewish press, they don't even make the British Jewish press, all the gains that are going on. Do you know that just this week, what used to be the uh, Organization of African Unity, the African uh, Council, uh, finally allowed Israel to have observer status for the first time in 18 years? Uh, do you know that every day there are back and forths between Israel and the UAE? Do you know that every day there are back and forth, as I was saying earlier, in, um, in Hadassah Hospital, in Shari Tzedek Hospital, and so many hospitals um, with Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews working together simply as nurses, simply as doctors, simply as pharmacists? You know, every morning when I jog, uh, right here in our neighborhood on the Park of Mesila, I pass uh, Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews, all of us huffing and puffing away in the Republic of Sport. All those stories don't make the papers. And this isn't about media bias. This is about our own failure, 
We're so busy yelling and screaming about Ben and Jerry's that we don't even celebrate all the successes and all the um, and all the wonderful things that are taking place right here in the Jewish state and right here vis-a-vis the Jewish state and the world. And that too, I think, has to be part of Lapid's agenda. Absolutely. No, we often say here at Minion Bicom that it's that it's about those uh, those hidden. I mean, they don't make the media, I'd argue, because they're because that's a, it's a non-story. They don't perhaps interest the uh, an int- the media looking for something uh, out of the ordinary. But you're right that the the uh, the ongoing kind of residual daily coexistence, especially in Jerusalem, is is noteworthy and something we should be very proud of. And one um, of the reasons why I like to read Fathom and and, and follow you guys on Bicom is that that you're doing two things. One is through the conflict you bring not just one dimensions, not just two dimensions, but three dimensions, thoughtful, deep articles. And secondly, that you bring to Israel, this, this, this discussion about Israel, the study of Israel, not just one dimension, the conflict, but all the, uh, all the dimensions that uh, one needs to understand the UK, needs to understand the United States, needs to understand Canada, needs to understand Australia, to, to define any country just through the lens of one particular issue um, is so simplistic. And again, bad enough that the media does it because they're headline driven. But when I see it happening within, the, with our, within our Jewish community, when I see it happening within the supposed, among the supposed defenders of Israel, right? Because they're so defensive and they're so obsessed with justifying Israel that they forget sometimes um, the need to celebrate Israel. Very different thing. They need to change the conversation. They need to get out of the Arab Israeli or Palestinian uh, Jew vortex. Um, we're often our own, uh, our own worst enemies. Just a couple of questions to finish up with. We're uh, and to draw on your expertise of uh, of American presidents and uh, American political history. Um, next month, uh, Prime Minister Bennett is due to meet with President Biden in the uh, um, in in the White House. I mean, how significant do you do you put an emphasis which you place on these uh, kind of on these on these set piece moments in terms of kind of building a real dynamic of two two countries to work together? So at the end of the day, the, the, the fundamental forces that unite Israel and the United States transcend the tensions, let's say, between Netanyahu and Obama. Uh, the, the, the friendship remains quite strong. But these, these diplomatic moments are very important, especially that we now have a new president, a relatively new president in the United States, and an extremely new uh, prime minister in Israel. This is an opportunity for them to take the tensions uh, around that, that emerged and that peaked let's say with um, Bibi Netanyahu's speech um, uh, to, the, to the Congress, to the joint session of Congress about Iran, uh, put them aside and set a new tone. But at the same time, Bennett has to be very clear while they're backslapping and while we're taking advantage of Bennett's excellent English uh, and while we're taking advantage of, of Biden's uh, relief that he doesn't have to handle Bibi Netanyahu <laughs> with all his wiles, Bennett also has to sit down with the president of the United States and say, look, we've got a serious problem with Iran and remind the president of the United States that Israel's merely little Satan. Big Satan is the United States of America, that the, uh, that the people of the UK, the people of uh, Canada, the people of the United States of America and the people of Israel, all the West are in the target sites of the Iranians and that the biggest challenge uh, to, the, to, to world peace these days when we talk in the Middle East uh, and, and not China or, or North Korea is indeed Iran, and um, and and Iran as a nuclear power is problematic. And the other thing that I would do if I was Bennett is I would try to have a deeper conversation with with uh, with President Biden about what can be done to destabilize the regime. What has been done in the past, and this should not be public, and this should not be shared with the public. But I think they need to do, do a deep dive into what's been done before to try to shake that regime up 
and what can potentially be done in the future. Because if you think about it, let's play the if game, which historians aren't supposed to play. But if one day the Iranian middle class, which is oppressed and depressed and demoralized and fed up, somehow gets rid of this awful autocracy, this awful Islamist regime, not only will we not have to worry about the Iranian nuclear threat, but Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, Palestinian extremists uh, in the PA will lose much of their backing. And just as the world was shaken in 1991 uh, by the fall of Russia and the fall of the Soviet Union's, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Soviet Union as the bagman for so many world problems, and the result, whether you like it or not, was the Oslo peace process, which at least was an attempt to change the conversation. Think about what the Palestinian-Israel dynamic looks like without Iran. Think of what the Lebanon-Israel dynamic looks like without Iran. Think of even what the Syria-Israel dynamic looks like without Iran. That should be, off the record, invisible priority number one. Well, that's a yes. Yeah, so let's hope, hope they can reach some uh, some understandings there. I mean, how do you rate kind of the, the, the prospects of uh, of it, the interaction between the, uh, the two governments and reaching some form of accommodation on this issue? You know, it's important that uh, the pro-Israel community and, and Israelis and Prime Minister Bennett recognize that when um, the President of the United States wakes up every morning and he has his briefing from his chief of staff and they make a list of things to do, Israel just isn't that high up on the agenda. And frankly, even the nuclear issue isn't that high up on the agenda. Um, obviously, COVID continues to be a problem in the United States as it is in the UK and Israel and elsewhere. Um, the economy, uh, the racial dynamics, the, uh, the President Biden's worries about will, there, will, will he be able to hold on um, to the Congress in the midterm elections which are coming up uh, in, in, in a year and two months, which sounds far away, or a year and four months, which sounds far away, but actually um, in American political time isn't. Uh, how does he get his infrastructure bill through the Congress? How does he deal with China, North Korea? There are so many headaches going on. And one of the things that the Israeli prime minister has to do is has to figure out how to frame the conversation in such a way that he acknowledges with humility where Israel stands on the mattering map, but also uh, cleverly personalizes the conversation and helps push these agenda items up a little bit higher, which is why, for example, I always emphasize the big Satan, little Satan uh, issue. That's really, really interesting. Uh, Gil, thank you so much for your time today. It was uh, fascinating listening to you. Great, and thanks, uh, and keep up uh, doing the great work. Thank you very much.